Welcome to We're Still Here, a podcast by theater people for theater people. We're your hosts, Kate and Cade. Join us as we explore being a theater artist in and out of a pandemic. Let's talk about where we're at and where we're going, because after all, we're still here. All right, and welcome back to We're Still Here. This is episode two. It's our second episode. Episode two, can you even believe? Who's my favorite number? Do you have a favorite number? My favorite number, 11. It's always been 11. <gasps> Wait, one plus one is two. Yeah, okay, that's actually so very true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're so mm-hmm. right. I've always loved 11. People think that's a weird number. Every time I say that, people are like, why 11? But I like that it's just, it looks very congruent to me. I like intervals of 11. I'm a big fan. Oh, big intervals fan of, 11. of 11? Like, I'm also a big fan of like, say, 33. Okay, but... 77. Oh, oh, I see. I I see. Okay, very even here. Also, those are like really good, like... um like good karma numbers, right? Like when you see like one, 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 you're like, oh, that's a good sign. Like, yeah. uh, or like make a wish at 11, 11, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah that's probably yeah. What, what inspired that because I was a big wish at 11, 11 kid when I was like, <laughs> and I okay. know you still are as an adult and that's oh, really yes. nice. And I love that. What? Okay. What do you wish for at 11, 11 though? Oh, mm-hmm. honestly, as an adult, I mm-hmm. only ever remember when I'm with you because you always point out Yes. These kinds of things. What do I wish for? I think lately, definitely just for the world to stop being on fire. Oh, what? That's a really yeah, okay wish, I guess. <laughs> ones, don't know if anyone. It's almost 11 11 now. It's 11 07. Oh, wow. I feel like we're preemptive, um, preemptively preparing our wish for today. Yeah, like maybe not so much dumpster fire stuff. That would be great. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, I could wish for, you know. Mm. <laughs> Hundred dollars, or the, for the country to uh, to stop going up in Stopping flames, on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, very dumpster fiery. And for those listening, just yesterday uh, was the sixth, and we had our first domestic terrorism dispute. I don't know what they're calling it. Um, yeah, and it was like I don't know about you, dude, but uh, I was under some impression that 2020 was the problem. <laughs> well, I was under some naive impression that it was the year that was broken and not the rea- not the timeline we're living in. But I- yeah, just everything is so broken. The year just happened to change, and clearly things are just getting worse. It's just not great. But you know what? There's been one really positive thing that has happened recently. <gasps> is it time for our Broadway bulletin? I think it is. It is time for our Broadway Bulletin. Okay, what the fuck are we talking about this week? I'm so excited. Wait, I just want to preface this by saying I'm addicted to TikTok. You are. You're a big TikTok girl, and that's great. It, we are talking this week about the phenomenon that is mm. the Ratatouille musical that just premiered, had a very successful 72-hour digital run. This thing is crazy. This thing was fully created, composed, directed, produced, choreographed by TikTok creators, just people at home on their phones. That's in, that's insane. Yeah. Okay, but I just want to take this moment to remind everybody how fucking cool we yeah. are. That is so cool. Y'all are so cool. Also very good. Yeah. Oh, top notch. Extremely good. Well, and I love if you look on the wiki. Okay, if you guys look on the wiki for the Ratatouille musical, y'all. Like, so many lyricists. Like, Danny Bernstein, for starters. um, Emily Jacobson, Sophia James, Alec Powell. Like, people just from all over contributing their wild talents to Uh this incredible project. 
And I mean, over 1 million, I think, what was it, like $1.8 million raised for the yes. Actors Fund through this, yes. just through those 72 hours of, of broadcasting this thing. Like, you know, people really came out and donated and watched and streamed. And it's one of those things where it's like, okay, theater isn't dead. It really reminds you that the hunger and the want and need well, and you know what's kind of yeah. cool about this is this was like, <laughs> talk about, like we always say, we're still here, a podcast by theater people, for theater people, right? This was like by theater people, for theater people. Mm, uh -huh. We love Ratatouille, let's make a musical. And then we did it, and then the people who watched it were also theater people. You know what I mean? This is a very communal, yeah. Yeah. collective, I love that. Like it wasn't, they weren't yeah. trying to get other people in, right? This is like, we're gonna do this within our community. Yeah. We're going to raise money for ourselves. We're, and that's like exactly what they did. And I, 200 million yep. people around the globe watched this. That's the thing. That's how many people are interested in, it's Gen in, Z. This, in this kind of in musical theater. Yeah, it, it is. And that's the thing. There were, you know, it was for theater people, but I think something like TikTok has really inspired more people to Well, to people be are coming out of the woodwork. Like, we've theater. talked a lot on this show already yeah. about how many different paths you can take to be a performer. People who were in theater in yeah. high school are being able to come on TikTok and enjoy this. And maybe this isn't over for me. Maybe I can be in Ratatouille the musical. And maybe I can participate in this yeah. still that is so cool it's so cool okay i have to ask you let's go over an important question are you ready i'm so ready what is the next tiktok musical what is it you know what i would love to see because it's an underrated again a pixar film another pixar film but underrated and i think this could be the resurgence of it a bug's life oh wait i just Come got chills. the first pixar was that the first pixar movie or was toy story Oh, I think Toy Story. Well, okay. I'm not really sure. Both, I'm not sure. Both, those were definitely the first two. I'm not sure which came out first. But Toy Story is this huge franchise and has this whole life. But Bugs Life, mm. underrated, still very mm. good movie. I think it could is be the a great... Is that cute fat caterpillar in Bugs Life or Ants? He's in Bugs Life. Oh, the cute fat, I don't Yeah, know. the cute fat caterpillar yeah, is in Bugs yeah. Life. Yeah. So definitely check out Ratatouille, the TikTok musical. You can go to ratatouzical.com and check it out. And actually, we're totally wrong. They've they've raised 1.9 million and counting. 1.9, mm -hmm. that is crazy. Yeah. No, crazy. just casual, just real casual. And in the next few weeks, we are actually going to be talking to some people who were involved. So stay tuned because that eventually... And at the end of every Broadway Bulletin, we like to give you guys a resource that might help you somewhere along your journey. And today we are going to bring forward the Actors Fund. You can find them at actorsfund.org and you can apply there for financial assistance. They have a bunch of resources um, for what to do right now while you're out of work, uh, how to get health insurance, things like that. So definitely check that out. And the Ratatouzical has given them a lot more funds to disseminate. So if you're struggling during this time, please go and check out actorsfund.org org for some help and that concludes our broadway bulletin for this week and you know what that means i do know what that means that means it is time to talk about our local legend 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 the local legend all right this local legend is magnetic this local legend's catchphrase is, ask me to do a trick. If he starred in a Broadway musical honoring a Broadway legend, it would undoubtedly be Gene Kelly for those tapping feet and that wonderful charisma. This local legend's dream role is 
Don Lockwood in Singing in the Rain. I mean, I can't think of anything more perfect. Yes. Who are we talking about? Who is our local legend this week? Talking about local legend Ryan Ardelt. Yay! Yay! We know Ryan from uh, Newsies. We do know him from Newsies. He is just one of the most incredible dancers I've truly ever seen. He's worked mm. all over the valley. Kate, I did this last time, so I'm going to ask you, give me his resume highlights, oh, no. his resume came to fame in 30 seconds or less. One, two, three, go. Oh, The Sound of Music, at Phoenix Theater Company, Newsies, Anything Goes, The Drowsy Chaperone, The Tempest, 42nd Street, and Pandemic Pending, oh, Pandemic Pending, Rocky Horror at Phoenix <laughs> Theater Company. He was supposed to be in the rock. Pandemic show. Penny is my drag name. Pe- <laughs> Pandemic Penny. He's welcome to the stage. Pandemic Penny. Pandemic Penny. Welcome yeah, to the stage. No, um, <laughs> He's been in a lot. Uh, you I, did Sound of Music with him. I did. Did Sound of Music with him. He was Rolf. He was so incredible in that. He is just such a joy and just, just a light. And just th- his energy is just so infectious. He has too much energy. In fact, the guy that played Davey in our Newsies cast used to make him, Ryan, run around the theater before showtime because he just has so much energy. And we yeah. we did a, if you guys are on our Patreon, we have a little bonus interview with Ryan and we, and we kind of talked to him about that. He's, we were making fun of him because he's literally, he can do everything he's a composer he's a lyricist he's a dancer he's an actor he's a singer so when we were doing newsies he was always helping people like he'd be like helping people with choreo and then like helping people warm up and then like asking if he can help posing pre-show and just and that's the kind of thing he's been doing during this pandemic you know where uh we're in a place where we can't perform as much of Mm -hmm. course or at all so he's still um a student at grand canyon university they're still doing pandemic productions and trying to make it work virtually he's done composing for productions they've done and sound design and he's exploring all these other avenues that he's interested in and is very Mm -hmm. good at like he's one of those people who can pick up something and excel at it almost immediately. Well, and this is sort of a theme with our local legends, right? Of being flexible. I'm going to call you and I out really quick and say that like you and I a year ago, if someone had said like, would you guys be willing to do sound design? We'd be like, "Um, no, we're vocalists. And this just like kind of speaks to the benefit of expanding yourself and allowing yourself to be creative in other ways, right? To, To be able to sound design and also compose. I don't know. I just think that's so magnificent. And to be able to allow your to take the time to learn a new skill during this chaos so very cool and honestly very much why i i wanted to feature ryan as a local legend he is absent on social media entirely but i did want to bring him up because i feel like he's somebody who everybody can learn from as far as just whatever you like do it you know what i mean like you don't have to pigeonhole yourself into only being a dancer actor singer like you can also sound design you can also do pottery you can also like there are other things hireable by doing this you know like uh, if the uh if the stage roles aren't there or are drying up for some time if you're also a skilled and experienced and qualified sound designer that's a way you know like he Well, talk about Broadway workshops. Like when you're workshopping a show, right? When somebody writes a show and you're just like going in and you don't know what's happening, like there, if you have other skills they can use, like you can be of service in other ways or you can participate and and add value to a project. Like that is what we do, right? We are all unique and that is on purpose. So however you can amplify that. And I guess like in the theater world, we call that special skills, right? But and, and, you know, t- I say throw away that phrase and just any hobbies or anything that you're interested in, do it. And think of Ryan Ardell while you do. Okay. If you could cast him in anything, 
What would it be? There are so many things I could cast him in because I think he's probably the most castable person of all time, but... Get down and dirty. Do it to me. As a big Cats advocate, I've got to say Skimbleshanks in Cats. (laughs) He is Skimbleshanks, the railway cat. Yeah. You're not wrong. You are not wrong. I honestly don't know if I can come up with something better. Should I say SpongeBob? Because that's my go- that's like my standard go to. Like cast pick lately, yeah. Yeah, I cast all these people in SpongeBob. He's like, well, you know what? He might be a really good Patrick. Yeah, I actually don't yeah. know the stage show super well to be honest, but I, I don't either. But I grew up on the cartoon. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. So it's so so I can only imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see what he would be good in. Anything super classic. Yeah. Holiday Holiday Inn. We yes, talked about Holiday that. Inn, he'd be so great in that tapping. I mean. His dream role um, singing like, in the rain is so perfect. He'd be a oh wait, in the rain. Dimitri. Dimitri, yeah. My uh, what did he sing? My Petersburg. Yes, yes. My Saint Petersburg. Oh please. Yeah. Oh please. Oh please. Hans. He could also do Olaf. Yeah, he could because he is a tenor, tenor. tenor. And if we are gender bending, I would not mind seeing him play Anna. Yeah. First. Yeah. Like. Uh-huh. I just like thought of that right now. He would be a great angel in Kinky Boots. He would. He would be great. What was he going to do in Rocky Horror? He was going to be uh, one of the phantoms. And he oh, was see, Brad perfect. Yep. Yeah, Brad Understudy. He just, the charisma. You want somebody like that in a role like the phantom? because Like the phantoms? Because you need that. So interactive sort of. and it's so, yes. yeah. He's so wild and he's so down for anything. So that is our local legend for this week. The wonderful, beautiful Ryan Ardelt. And we will put his email um, down in the information since he is completely off of social media, which gosh, bow down to you, queen, because um, I live on, we live on social media. That is how we love to connect with you guys. So if you feel like asking him any questions, he's super friendly, super open. Shoot him an email, say hello, add him to your contacts in your contact book. And there you go. You're welcome. That concludes this week's local legend segment. So that brings us, Kate, to our very oh first guest on the podcast. And I- the, Our very first guest. I truly can't believe <laughs> that this is our first guest. And I know this individual is, you know, the most humble and down to earth person I've maybe ever met. And, well, and I have to say- the most accomplished people I've ever met. So I love, yes. love that those go hand in hand here. Our next guest made their Broadway debut in the first musical I ever listened to. Yeah. Rent. Mm-hmm. Rent was like a really big deal when I, for me when I was in high school and I started listening to musicals. That was like my jam. That I was like, oh, these people get me. Yes, <laughs> like it was, me 16. Too. It was also, yeah, it, I was the same. It was like that show was the first one I ever, that was the first musical I ever became obsessed with and became. Right. Was, like I've never paid rent, never had sex, never been outside Arizona, but I'm like, these, this, this is my musical. to me for whatever reason. And, yeah. Yeah. The, these people get my soul. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's do it. Let's bring her in. Okay, so like you said, our guest made her Broadway debut in Rent. They have since appeared in the original casts of Brooklyn, In the Heights, West Side Story Revival, for which she won a Tony Award, and most recently, Moulin Rouge, which she's up for another Tony Award for her performance in that show. She also appeared in the original Chicago cast of Hamilton as Angelica Schuyler, and the encores production of Tick, Tick, Boom with Lin-Manuel and Leslie Odom. And recently, she co-founded the organization Affect Change with Eden Espinoza. This is the amazing, the beautiful, and the talented Karen Olivo. Karen Olivo. Hello. Hi, 
How are you? Oh, Karen. We are so good. We're thriving. We are so <laughs> excited to talk to you today that we just spent almost five minutes laughing back and forth. Just, just awkwardly laughing back mm -hmm. and forth, awaiting mm -hmm. your arrival. Hey. <laughs> oh my God, look at this little setup you yeah. have behind you. Oh, I'm a teacher. So I, you know, I try to keep it busy behind me. So my students look at the screen as opposed to their phones. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. I love that. It is awesome. Thank you so much for doing this with us today. We're so grateful. Thank yeah, you so thank much. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Of course. We've got so much we want to talk to you about today. So let us dive in. Yeah. Yeah. We're so excited because you were in New York at the same time we were. We were in New York in March for our college showcase. Oh. And yes, very cool. Um, actually, the week <laughs> Broadway shut down, we were there. <laughs> yeah, we um, saw like the last shows really like we were there the night before everything went down yes i know and the weird thing is i was thinking about this morning we stayed right behind like when i got into my hotel room the only thing i could see was the moulin rouge sign yes <laughs> and i called yeah, everybody into that. my room and i was like look we're right here <laughs> so i think that's pretty cool because uh you were starring as Satine in Moulin Rouge at that time. And in preparation for this, we've listened to a couple interviews and I would love if you could talk about the prep for that because I watched you this morning belt on that swing. There's a video from tech and <laughs> I said to Kate, do you see how she spins over and she's still singing? Crazy, like, it's wild to see. It is, can you talk a little bit about the prep for that? Cause I know you said there was a lot of people involved. Yeah, um, I, this is the most physical I think I've ever had to be in a show. And it's really, it was more about stamina, which is, I'm not someone who works out. I don't really like to work out. I prefer to just like eat food. <laughs> Hear ya. <laughs> Amen. So I knew like almost right away, because I had done all these different iterations of the show in like workshop form. Like my opening, the first time you ever see Satine is like a seven and a half, eight minute number. Yes. Mm -hmm insane and it starts with trapeze so i was like mm, i'm not gonna be ready to do this eight times a week <laughs> so i immediately started training with um this wonderful woman named carrie woodall here in madison wisconsin oh i should probably say i am actually on the ancestral land of the ho-chunk oh, which yes. is also known as madison wisconsin mm -hmm. um and uh i'm very gracious to be here oh, i love that um one of the things that Carrie does here in Madison is that she teaches, she's a TRX master trainer, which is like, you know, those straps and you use your body weight. Yes. And then she also, uh, she was uh, a pro swimmer for a really long time. And so um, she also coaches young swimmers. And so I started training with her, I want to say six months for six months before I started. Wow. And, um, we did everything from, we really worked on my upper body because, you know, trapeze, there's so much, everything about the trapeze is in your arms yes. and in your back. Oh my God. And what you're, what you were talking about me, like flipping around and being able to sing had a lot to do with um, not only having like a really strong core, but also knowing that your shoulders and your back would take the weight. So therefore you don't necessarily need to mess up the what your diaphragm would be doing you know the diaphragm expands sure so right. like having a strong core but uh -huh. not necessarily having to engage that in that moment and mm -hmm. using your back muscles to hold you up 
Um, Which seems counterintuitive kind of, right? Like, cause I feel like I would totally <laughs> grab my, my stomach. <laughs> yeah. But then you add on that I'm in a corset. Mm-hmm. I'm double corseted actually. Oh. What you saw was me in two corsets. So that was another Casual. thing. Yeah. Right. In training, I actually took home one of my corsets and I took my Leduca boots and I would get on the treadmill. I would, I would tighten the corset as tight as I could. And then I would run at an incline in my Leducas. Um, and that was my cardio. That's how I would start every workout because oh, nice. I knew that, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a corset for more than like, I've not had the pleasure. It is just, it's a brutal, brutal thing. And it, it messes up the way that your body is supposed to function. Singing in it is almost impossible. I had to learn how to like really push my diaphragm underneath. Ooh. Like really like work on like expanding low as opposed to like, you know, when you think as a singer, you know, you at the base of your belly button. Yeah. That, that's your, Down your and diaphragm. Out. Yeah. Comes- yeah, it can start yeah. to expand there and you don't have that ability. You have to really like, I would visualize my diaphragm going down and back, <gasps> down and back. Was this kind of in your subconscious No, I only did that in training. As you're doing yeah, all these I did crazy it in training. Things. Are you, you know, like, during the show, you're thinking you about like, I hope to? this thing doesn't, uh, the set piece doesn't kill me or like right. what are my lines? Um, I hope these guys get me off the swing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like there's so many other know. things you have to think about. So yeah, it was just in training. <laughs> I, t- I listened a little bit to your interview with Live at the Lortel, which yeah. is amazing, amazing podcast. Daphne Rubenbega, Eric, uh, just amazing. And you uh, talked mm-hmm. a little bit about that. And I was just so fascinated because when we're, when we're in school, we're like we just graduated, we're very aware of the fact that performers are like, ath- they are athletes. It's <laughs> just a different, you know, just a different type of athleticism. Yeah. And when I heard you talk about that, I was like, there's mm-hmm. just, I feel like people need to know that this is what goes behind, you know, all of, you know, you go see a Broadway show and then you leave and you have dinner and you don't think about all of the prep that goes into it. And I'm watching you unbuckle yourself from that swing much you have to be thinking about. And all the while you have to honor Satine. (laughs) And make it look effortless at the same time, which you You do. do. What was the maintenance like? What is the maintenance like for that role when you're not at the theater? I, I mean, I do this with all shows, but for this show specifically, I really did have to live like a monk. Like there was not, uh, like I didn't do anything that wasn't, like there was not, uh, yeah. uh, like I didn't do anything that wasn't uh-huh. an absolute requirement. Right. I, I, tr- I would try to work out sometimes, like just do like a little mm. bit of cardio earlier in the morning. But what I would find is that my body knew that come six o'clock, you have to be ready to run the race. And so I didn't, you know, depending on how much sleep I got the night before, yeah. sometimes I wouldn't be able to because I was like, my legs can't be tired. That's the other thing yeah. about Satine, which is not like, you, you know, if you see the show, mm-hmm. it's like two, two and a half hours. Right, yeah. There's, you know that Satine is like a huge part of it. Like she's just always on stage. But what you don't see is that, there's so much running around backstage um, and the costume changes are so, mm-hmm. I really feel like people should talk about the way costume changes are in a very aggressive situation. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Cause it's multiple people, yes. you know, it's multiple people putting their hands on you and like doing things. And you're like trying to put your foot into a shoe yeah. and hot going on. And, and that is like sometimes the only time that you have yeah. off stage. Yeah. Oh yeah, you are not walking off stage and hanging out and playing games. No, yeah. 
there was there was actually strangely enough there was a, a costume change mm -hmm. when we were in boston that was a 32 second costume change hair change hat complete complete outfit the only thing i didn't change were my shoes but it also involved a rip away costume it was girl insane 32 seconds i would just like come off and i'd be like do me just do me <laughs> breathe 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 and then we finally we built in a little Crazy. bit more time for broadway but it was uh it's a stressful stressful situation knowing that the show stops if you don't get this one moment in the dark right <laughs> Right. My favorite video I've ever seen is the backstage <gasps> shot of Kelly O'Hara at the Tonys yeah. when she's doing the King and I into that crazy costume change into the other gown. Yeah. It was amazing. Well, sure that they put something that like that. Because I was like, yeah, and isn't this it is fun when you get better? This is what yeah. it's like. And it, it, you get like as you go. When we did Kinky Boots, that was to say I had to like you know zip up my boots in like thirty seconds or less. Mm -hmm. And you know you're like, oh, we did it fast tonight. Like there. <laughs> Like everybody has such a specific job mm -hmm. and it's so, I don't know. You're right. This situation is very aggressive. I think you, <laughs> I think you put it really well. <laughs> um, and something I'm fascinated to know, where were you when you heard that the show was closing or that Broadway was closing? I was down the street in my apartment. I had just come, I had been sick yeah. the week before that weekend. I had been sick mm -hmm. and out of the show. And so um, and that had happened multiple times during my run mm. um, of me just being ill and then fighting to get back. Right. And a lot of times I would come back before I should have come back, but it was just like, I got to get on the stage. Um, so I was on my way back uh, that um, yeah. I, don't, I didn't do Tuesdays. I was doing seven shows a week at that point. So um, it was that Wednesday I called out that Wednesday and then Thursday, the day that Broadway shut down, we had two shows that day. And so that matinee, that Thursday matinee, which is crazy that we even had a Thursday matinee, I was coming back mm -hmm. to the show that day. And I was like, 8 a.m., I started getting texts from some people in my show saying, uh, we hear people are sick. They're talking about Broadway not opening. Some people, there had been a scare with an usher down the street at a play that had tested positive for COVID. And... Um, and so there was just like this talk in our company about people not feeling well and what was that going to mean for us. So almost like at the start of the day, I was like, something's not right. And then as the day sort of got closer to half hour for the matinee, um, equity called and they were like, this might be a safety issue. And our producers ended up saying, They're, we're going to call today's shows so that we can let the people who feel like they're ill go and get figured out. Okay. And then we'll resume on Friday. But then by the time that they had done that, all of Broadway had just decided to shut down. Mm -hmm. And so that, I mean, by the time I would say it was like mm -hmm. five or six o'clock in the afternoon, I knew Broadway had shut down. And I, you know, like I said, I have a house here in Madison, Wisconsin. So, and mm -hmm. I, my husband and I co-parent two teenagers and they were here in Madison at the time. And my husband was with me in New York and we realized if I didn't get out of New York, there might be a situation in which we couldn't leave New York. Yeah. So we, we immediately, uh, we masked up yeah. and we grabbed in 30 minutes. We left our house. What? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Walk wow. me through this, because you are a, a Broadway veteran, right? You've been performing forever. So mm -hmm. you get this, 
you're playing Satine in Moulin Rouge on Broadway. You get this call that there's like a virus going around. What do you, what is your initial thought? Like, are you thinking Broadway's going to be closed for a year? Like what is going through your mind? Well, I, I should preface it by saying my husband is a lot of traveling for his job. And so he mm-hmm. had, we had already, um, we had already had like a little bit of a conversation because he was supposed to go to Asia oh. within the next month. He was supposed to go to China and Korea. And we had um, previously in January, we'd been on vacation in Mexico and we sat across the table from uh, a couple that had just come from China and they were talking to us about what was happening over there with the virus. And so we were like, tell us everything. My husband's supposed to go on this really long trip. It's supposed to be like four weeks or something like that. And so we had information when we came back to New York that was different from what everyone else in New York was sort of talking about. So the moment that Broadway shut down and knowing like the only time Broadway's ever Mm -hmm. shut down, it was only for a day and it was for 9-11. The moment that there was no like clear, like we're shutting down for this amount of time, we already knew about what was happening overseas. We, it was just, it was a very simple, like in my brain, I was like, this is unlike anything we've ever experienced. Mm. We have to go home so that we can at least make sure that we're close enough to our kids. Wow. So you guys kind of had that foresight a a little Mm. bit, which is interesting. When we went to New York for our showcase, we didn't have, girl, we didn't even know what was up. We, I got on that plane with no mask. (laughs) Mm-mm. You know, studying my yeah. sides. And it suddenly became this yeah. mad dash when we got there of how we were going to get out of New York. Yeah. And that was the energy. It was just, let's get out of New York. Our school got us tickets home early just because it was like, we don't know what's happening. We don't know how bad this bad. is going to get or what's going to happen with air traffic. It was just like... I don't know where you flew out of Cade, but JFK was empty. It was empty. Yeah. It was... It, it was. I was in JFK as well. Yeah, it wow. was wild. Interesting to hear your perspective um, because you, you, like you said, like when we were in New York, I remember that Wednesday and that Thursday, people were like, we haven't seen the city like this since, like you said, 9-11. And Broadway is such a gigantic part yeah. of the New York. I mean, it is New York as we've seen, right? The gravity of that was a lot. And it, I mean, how have you, you've done a lot of things in, in quarantine and I, I kind of want to talk about that, but how are, how are you? How are you? How are you mentally? How are you? How are you? I mean, I think I'm actually much better than I thought I would be. There was definitely like right afterwards, I had a moment of, um, really feeling a little bit betrayed by my industry, that there wasn't a little bit more of a safety net, mm-hmm. um, that we were just, everyone that was in a production or working in the industry was all of a sudden just like let go with no notice of what yep. was going to happen. And granted, like no one knew what to do. Um, right. But then I started to like really think about like, I, you've devoted your entire life to this industry. How is it that you don't have like a safety net for yourself or you don't have like structure within this and so there was a lot of like moments of i've been doing this all wrong and then Uh, that's where my organization started sort of formed from but um out of that i now i i i I sort of remember what it is about the industry that i love so much Mm -hmm. and it's just the creation of art and it's like the furthering of a conversation or creating something that didn't exist before Mm -hmm. and i've been able to like really stay uh, focused on making art and cultivating art and supporting artists. And that has been the saving grace. 
And I also realized like maybe my energy should have been, you know, like being mm-hmm. Satine is great. Like I got that. Like it's, that it was wonderful. It's, it's a job, you know, but like I might, I might be able to like further the industry by doing all of these other things, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. So it's opened my eyes to the possibility of actually helping my industry in a completely different way than mm-hmm. just like being a revenue stream. Yes. We want to talk about your organization that you mentioned. In June 2020, mm-hmm. you and Eden Espinoza created Affect, mm-hmm. Affect Change. Yeah. Do you want to talk so, about you know, that? So, you know, like most of us during that time, you know, the George Floyd murder had just happened and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud yes. Arbery. And so it was just like, because no one was doing the thing that was keeping their mind away from real life and humanity, um, every all of those things really started to come. They were compounding and it felt like, oh, I don't know what's happening in my world. And then right on the heels of all of this tragedy and this like, this sort of reawakening um, came uh, a handful of posts, I think, on Instagram that someone had taken the FEC uh, page and like screenshot it, and it talked about mm-hmm. James Niederlander uh, giving a sizable amount of money to 45's yep. campaign, and that felt like someone had punched me in the mouth because yeah. I've worked in many Niederlander homes. I mean, uh, I've yeah, been, Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also yeah. I, you know, my first Broadway show was, um, at the Niederlander. Mm, uh, yes. Um, not to mention when I did Hamilton in Chicago, that was all, that's also uh-huh. owned by the Niederlander. So it was just like, there was like this, I, I this feeling wow. of like, I yeah. helped you make money. I, I, yeah. in good faith, thinking that you would support, um, an administration that would support people like all of us. Yeah. Um, and so, so that felt very like, that felt like such a betrayal. Mm-hmm. And then I realized yeah, I've been in the business for this amount of time. I've, I've had numerous contracts. I've worked all over the world. How did I not know that this is something that could happen? So that, that conversation started mm-hmm. with Eden and I, where we were like, we should have known this. We've been, we're like, we're like the vets here. We should have known that this could happen. And we should we didn't want anyone to feel the way that we felt, which was mm-hmm. completely duped by our industry. Mm-hmm. And so we started doing more research on like, who are the stakeholders? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, then we found out that all Broadway shows are owned by three organizations, which is an oligarchy. It's crazy. It's like, what are you talking about? It's insane. Three organizations? Like, you know, and at, at the very beginning, we started like, we were talking to each other. Yeah. Like, well, what if they decided at one point, like all Broadway tickets were $500? Like, that would be right. it. Yes. Because uh-huh. they own the market. Like, wh- how did we let this happen? And so mm. the more we dug and learned, the more we realized it, that's not information yeah. that we should ever keep to ourselves. Yeah. So we created the nonprofit to educate everyone. So people who buy tickets, people who are in the industry, um, people who are looking to get into the industry so that they would never walk into a situation and be taken advantage of. That And that's such a Mm, it's such an incredible thing. Before we went to New York, I did a lot of research on the industry. And and you're right about these three organizations run by white men. And it's interesting to me because it's a very myopic viewpoint that represents this massive collection of diverse people with diverse stories. And I mean, to put... Uh, I mean, I named my dog after Hamilton. So it, it, it moved me so much. It got me back into musical theater. I was like, wow, somebody's writing about real life. And t- 
to put yeah. a show like that makes me kind of emotional on your stage and then turn around and undermine the hard work that we literally, I mean, we just heard yeah. about what you did for Satine, right? That's happening all over the world, right? In small houses, in big houses, actors are putting themselves out there just to be undercut by the people who are, you know, taking care of us. So when I saw that you guys had created that organization, mm -hmm. I was moved. And I, I heard you say to Daphne, she asked you about the support from that. And you said the silence was deafening. And that also made me a little emotional because that's the reason that we started this podcast is because mm -hmm. I felt like, you know, we're coming into, into this wonderful time in our lives when we're supposed to be, you know, exploring and auditioning and making art, like you said, and it was just silent. I mean, my boyfriend's a huge sports fan. I'm watching sports go back. I'm watching all of these different things come from this and our industry just quiet. So it moved me so much to watch two women who I have followed since I was little, you know, speak out because there's such a taboo about speaking out. And I want to know what is your advice for incoming industry professionals who want to speak mm -hmm. out, but also yeah. want to be hireable? What is, what is your advice for that? How to balance that? Yeah. I mean, I'll say right now I teach at CCM and I'm, yeah. I teach sophomores. And one of the things that we, we've been working on this last semester was agency in the room. Mm. Um, and it has to do with like a really strong moral compass. And remembering that when you get hired for a job, those morals go with you. And being able to exercise mm -hmm. that in the same way that if someone has a very strict religious faith, if they go into a, a job, yes. those things don't automatically disappear when they become an employee. We are allowed to take those things with us and we are allowed to stand behind those things. And we should feel empowered mm -hmm. in rooms as opposed to feeling that we're yeah. at, we're um, almost at the, uh, uh, I don't know, like the, the, the word that I'm trying to say at the mercy, but also like beholden yes. to these people. Yes. There's that, that mindset that you have to ask someone, please, am I allowed to make art? Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. You get uh -huh. to make art wherever you want. And you also get to decide where you want that art to live. Mm -hmm. Like I, I think that for someone going into the industry, an audition is the perfect place to start, right? Yeah. I go into an audition. I look at these people that are behind the, the desk and they're saying, do I have the goods to be in this show? But I am also looking at them saying, are you good enough people for me to share my art with you? Oh, mm -hmm. oh I love that. So like n knowing that what you have to offer is something that's very special and unique mm -hmm. and like, and yeah. Wow. And, and sort of holding that in reverence when you enter into spaces is really important. Yeah. And it's not, I don't think that it's egotistical. It's like, this, this is the way that human beings should be acting. Yes. And I'm, you know, I would love to be in your show, but if you do not value humanity in the same way that I value humanity, I don't think that this relationship will work. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. yep. And knowing there are other people too. Mm. There are other people that think that way. You just have to actually find them. Maybe it doesn't look like the way that you thought it would. Mm. Maybe it's not yeah. going to be that big, splashy Broadway hit. Maybe it's going to be off Broadway 
but you're going to, you're going to find an artistic home and you're going to make incredible art with humans who value you and your individuality. That that's what's important. I think that's why we get into, that's why we do what we do, right? That's what you said. You sort of are having this coming home of coming back to why I love this, right? Because we get so caught right. up in right. what show did I book, whatever. Mm -hmm. We forget what we're actually doing. These moments where we're connecting people to stories. And you're right. This idea that we do have agency. I mean, just coming out of school, mm -hmm. I think they told us a million times, like, if you won't do it, someone else will. Wow. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're taught, you know, how expendable we are. And so that's why it's so amazing. People like you and Eden Espinoza, who, you know, you guys have these platforms, you folks have these platforms and the power really in the industry, because you have so many people who've looked up to you for years. So it's amazing having folks like you create this um, platform and just yeah, yes. be the voice. Thank you. For, yeah, thank I mean, you. you talked about it standing on the shoulders of, of Daphne Ruben Vega, right? Because you, you could probably tell I'm a little emotional about all things theater, but I totally was like sobbing when you talked about how you were in school at CCM and a friend of yours uh, showed you rent and was like, do you like out tonight? Like, do you like this? And then they were like, wait till you see what Mimi looks like. And there was this moment where you had this synapsis fire that there's a place for me, right? And it's so beautiful to hear you say that Aww. because I was on I was on TikTok last night looking up your hashtag, and you have so many young fans. Um, mm -hmm. Like if you if you hashtag Karen Olivo on TikTok, there's all these people who are like, she went to my high school, and like it's just it's so cool because we need that. We mm -hmm. need that so much in a world where we are given all of these role models who really shouldn't be. Um, it's cool to see real people doing real things and being, and being recognized for it. Oh, thank you. I'm not on TikTok. I tried to do it, but it was, it was. No, but, but people talk about you there. You yes. have a lot of fans on TikTok. Oh, well, that's great. <laughs> yes, you are discussed often. often. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, people. <laughs> that is very sweet. People are crazy about Karen Lee, but well, and and you and Aaron Tavay, the p people, people are constantly posting your steamy, <laughs> steamy duets. It's like, it just I think people all over the world wish that was really a thing. But um, yeah, you you are beloved, <laughs> and and for very good reason. And I think uh, it's interesting too. I know that you left the industry for a while, right? You sort of made this shift. Um, and that's something I want to discuss with you too, because I think as actors, in addition to feel like we're feeling like we're beholden to the industry, there's mm -hmm. also this feeling of, I can only do this, Yeah. right? Like I can only do this and you've done a, a ton of different things. So what made you go home to, to Wisconsin? What, what was that about? Well, Wisconsin is actually not my home. I actually oh. grew up in New York and in Central Florida. I, I actually ended up marrying someone who had children who lived here in Madison. And so yeah. that's why I ended up staying here in Madison. But I think that the, the answer to your question about why walk away had a lot to do with the fact that um, I could have, you're completely right in the sense that this industry has a really interesting way of telling you that this is the only thing that you can do. And what happens when you get burnt out? I mean, we see this all the time and people don't talk about it because it's taboo. Like if you talk about being burnt out, then all of a sudden you're not grateful for the opportunities that you've been given and, um, and someone else will do it if you won't. I mean, all yes. of these things, these, <laughs> yes. these really, really harmful, harmful ideas that we give to students. Um, 
but that, you know, people in the industry today sort of live with. And I had heard so many other colleagues talk about how there had been moments where they were like, I don't want to do this right now. Um, and yeah. I knew that I was feeling that. I was really fed up with the way that the industry was treating people and not valuing integrity. And I was finding that the opportunities that I was being given hinged on me working with people who did not respect me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I was like, why am I doing this? Why am I like working so hard and making something so beautiful with these other actors so that we can give it to this organization or to this producer or to this theater that doesn't care about us? Like, mm-hmm. why would I do that? Yeah. That feels so wrong. Um, and so the stepping away had a lot to do with, I had read um, historically, like all of the great painters, they go through like these periods, right? You know, like Picasso yeah. had like seven years and he mm-hmm. did like his blue period or whatever, you know? Yes. And then after they would do like these long stints, they would be drained of inspiration. Mm-hmm. And so they would go and like live in a cottage somewhere and drink wine yes. and like do nothing. <laughs> Just be like a regular person and not paint right. every day and create. And I was like, why are we not doing that? We all get burnt out. We all have these moments where there's nothing in the tank. We don't know what it is that we're trying to create anymore. And I realized, you know, hustle, which is like the basis of what we do, yes. that hustle keeps you from seeing the rest of the world. And I, I really had this feeling that there was more of me that I had not tapped into, mm. you know? And so it and what just did you, what did you find? What did you find? Like, what did you find out about yourself? That I knew very, very little about the outside world that didn't have mm. to do with my industry. Uh-huh. But I had really strong feelings about um, relationships when it comes to parenting and family. Mm. It's something that I had not really afforded myself. Um, I didn't realize how difficult it was. It was something that I wanted to be able to do, but like, it's so hard. Yeah, to go be, like, a teenagers. Partner. Are you kidding and, me? Yeah, to be a parent and a partner and be like a sister-in-law. Like, it's hard. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why am I like depriving myself this thing so I can be in New York and like audition for stuff that I don't even want to do? Like, what's mm-hmm. going on? Um, so that, and then also like other art, I, you know, I, I dabble in painting and I, there were at one point I was doing a lot of like pottery. And so I was like, why do, why am I not like letting myself do this stuff? Um, so I spent uh-huh. time doing that and all of that just informed my art. Yes. Yeah. Did you know how long of a break you would be taking when you took the break or were you just like, let's see what happens. Maybe it'll be a year. Maybe it'll be forever. <laughs> I, I definitely did not put a time a time frame on it. I, uh-huh. I thought I'm going to do what feels good. Mm-hmm. I'm following my instincts. And it really wasn't that long. Mm-hmm. Like I would say I moved to Madison and within like three months, I was flying back to New York to do tick, tick, boom at city center with Lynn yeah. and yes. Leslie. So it was like it, immediately it was like the universe was like, okay, okay. Yeah, you can do that. But also remember. <laughs> and of course I went back to do it because it was like, you know, I, a part of me was Susan at the time, you know? Yeah. Oh, I don't know yeah. If you know the show, but like, yes. Susan talks about like, she mm-hmm. wants like, what is it, a, a washer and dryer or something? I yes. don't know, a dishwasher. She's like, I want a, another kind of existence. I want something that's yes. like, not like me hustling in this box in New York. And that was exactly mm-hmm. the journey that I was on. So I was like, oh, I have everything to fill that character. I'm actually mm-hmm. in that, that, you know, headspace right now. So 
yeah, it was almost immediately I was back in New York. And then I would only like, I would do the thing where I was like, I'm going to do this thing that I care about and that I want to do. And in the moment that that doesn't feel good, I'm going to take everything back and go right back to the place that feels mm-hmm. good. Yes. So I just come back to Madison and live my life and wait for another project or a phone call from a friend or a collaborator that inspired me. And I'd be like, yeah. okay, I'll go do that. But never will I just stand on New York city corner and be like, someone hire me. That's not going to happen ever again. Uh-huh. Well, and and um, that's why you'll continue to get hired. I think <laughs> like, that's like the, you know, it's interesting because my mom always told me like, if you, if you push too hard at something, right, like it's, it's going to keep running away from you, ease back off of it a little bit and take back some of your, your humanity. And I remember when this whole thing first started, I think we were a couple months in and I said to one of my professors, I'm panicking because I feel like I'm not training. And he's like, you're training every day. He said, as a human being, what you're going through right now will make you such a much better performer when you get back. And it's such a beautiful thing. And it's so freeing to be able to hear people say that and, and talk about how their experiences make them better performers. Because if we if all we're doing our whole lives is like you said, waiting on the New York street corner or rushing through dressing rooms and doing 30 second costume changes. And there's no time to let any of our experiences marinate. Mm-hmm. So true. Yeah. So true. Like you said, I know authors like Hemingway did the same thing, wrote a bunch of books and then hermited away for a really long time, got more inspiration and came back out. And that's as a very, very interesting thing to me. Mm-hmm. And if you guys don't mind shifting gears completely. I want to talk about Fun Home, if that's okay. I'm looking at your resume here, and also these photos of you in Fun Home are amazing. Amazing. You did that show at the Forward Theater Company, Mm -hmm. um, which is your your sister-in-law. Does she run that? She's the artistic director, yeah. That's amazing. I want... I don't know if you'd be willing to talk about this a little bit, but you you have played a lot of very um, stereotypically feminine characters, right? Like uh, Anita in West Side Story mm-hmm. like comes to mind. Yeah. What was it like, this process? I mean, Alison Bechtel's just a force to be reckoned with and and she's still alive, which is, yes. you know, very rarely do we do stuff about people who are still living. Mm-hmm. What made you take that role? Like, what was the process there of moving? You know, because as women in theater, we're very often put in a box, right? Like, if you're going to do this, you can't mm-hmm. do this and, and, and mm-hmm. X, Y, Z. So what was that like for you taking on a role that was so polarizing to roles you had performed in the past? Yeah, I mean, one of the things I... I um, I had a relationship with Fun at Home before I actually ended up doing it. Like, obviously, when I saw it, like everyone else, I was blown away. I was like, this is the most brilliant piece of theater. It's yes. just like, it's it's unlike anything else. It's a play with, like, incredible music, and the storytelling is impeccable. And um, But I was supposed to uh, do the tour. I was supposed to go and do the tour, the First National. And then instead of doing the First National, um, I ended up doing Hamilton because it was in my backyard. And so I wow. didn't. I ended up doing that instead. And so I always had this feeling of like, I, I know Allison's in my future. I just don't know when that's going to happen. And then my sister-in-law um, had said that they were going to do it at her company. And I was like, oh, please me. Um, it also helped that my husband was going to be the sound uh, designer <laughs> as well and run the board. So it was like a truly a family affair. Um, but one of the things that I think is really important about Allison specifically is that it, 
it's an artist who is questioning the past to find out who they are currently. And that is something that I feel like we don't do enough of. And um, everything about it, you know, Allison being an artist, which is, you know, like I said before, I dabble in art. Um, then there was also this, like, this shift as I've always been someone, you know, I recently changed my pronouns. Um, I've always been someone who felt very uncomfortable in this hypersexualized physical form. And my entire career has been based on being this, like, voluptuous, icy yes. Latina, like, mm -hmm. sexual. And, yes. and the, it is not my, that is not my truth. You know, it is a, right. it is a character that I play. And so having done it so often, there was always, it's mm. always so much work yes. to do that because I have to really divorce myself of all of like you, um, yeah. <laughs> my truth to right. embody this thing, you know, it's a lot of work and people are like, oh, you do it so well. I'm hard. like, no, I'm just uh -huh. really working hard at doing it. Um, but Allison is this gorgeous like mm -hmm. brain it's it's about a perspective and a brain it has so little yes. to do with the exterior and I had not been afforded mm. storytelling in that way before um I and normally I have like the constraints right. of something that's uncomfortable it's not like not only do, when I see myself I'm uncomfortable by what I see but I'm also like uncomfortable in the clothes <laughs> <laughs> right so I was like wow what a gift to be able to just like feel centered and grounded and not have the exterior pushing in and be able to be more of like myself mm. um it was like it was a gift such a complete gift yeah. and in and probably one of my favorite things that I've ever done because uh I, it was not built in struggle oh I love that everything else is like hard Every you know, yes. horses, the heels, the pounds of makeup. It's just, <laughs> it's just like uh -huh. what's right. happening. All of that. Yeah. Fun home really affords you that. I think uh, that mm -hmm. is such an interesting show for that reason. I also felt that way, except when I had to be in my underwear singing. I was like, whoa, no. Yeah, I felt the same way. I got to wear comfy clothes, and I didn't have to put on pounds of makeup. But I would come in, and I could focus on my stretching. Am I getting ready? And it wasn't this whole idea of what I looked like. It was about what I had to say. And so it's very interesting that you had a similar experience. Mm -hmm. Going back to Broadway and playing a role like Satine after an experience like that, how do you balance still mm. finding your truth <laughs> and like who you feel you are as a person like you did in Funhome? How do you, is there power in then kind of putting on the drag of playing a role like Satine? Yeah, I mean, um, I like to say I like to vet every choice. And like, if you do it fully, then you know what fits and what doesn't. Um, and what I noticed when I came back to Satine after doing Allison was that um, the costume was a costume. Like no, there was not a part of me that was like, oh my God, I feel uh -huh. like it was a tool that I needed to achieve something very specific. And I appreciated that tool, but I didn't want to take that tool home with me. Mm. I didn't want, you know, like yeah. I can, it, look, I'll be honest with you. The costumes that I wear at Satine are, they should be museum pieces. They're yes, they should. The most gorgeous, <laughs> like the, the artistry that went into them, they are, you know, true works of art. Do I want to go to sleep and take a nap in that? Absolutely mm -hmm. not. Does that, I, do I identify with any of that? No. And that gave me like a little bit more of like, oh my gosh, instead of like, oh, I have to put all this stuff on it and I don't feel like myself. I was like, look at all of the tools they gave me. 
Ooh, she gave me this like incredible gown that is really going to help me get into Satine uh -huh. and like live this story. And then the truth of it is, is that like the Satine journey is about humanity and about keeping her family together and protecting them at all costs. So oh, it's yeah. like with that matched with this like incredible dress is going to make everyone believe that I am the sparkling diamond. Mm -hmm. Well, and isn't that you know what, what I mean? Satine does, right? You talk, you, I, you said at uh, Live the Lord Tell, I love this. You said Satine is somebody who uses all her tools and when the tool isn't working, she'll flip it over and use it the <laughs> other way. And that's yeah. essentially what you just described, right? Like feeling like you're in a place where you've got to use these tools and having them at your disposal. Um, it's just interesting, uh, that dichotomy of, of that idea. Um, yeah, I just think that's interesting. That's really cool that you said that. I love uh -huh. that. So you're nominated for another Tony for this show. How does it feel? Yeah. I mean, with the Tonys happening now, at, I mean, in a different month than they normally would and with everything going on and it being one of the only shows that was really up mm. and running before, um, you know, the deadline for nominations. What is the, what is the energy like going into these Tony awards as opposed to the last time you were nominated and won? Well, the difference is that there's no campaigning. Uh -huh. I mean, that's something that I think is widely like unknown about the Tony awards is that it's supposed to be um, an acknowledgement of like the hard work and like the level of work that you put out. But along with that, it's a money game, right? Mm -hmm. This yeah. is about producers getting, getting awards yes. that they can put on their marquee and that helps them like with the touring mm -hmm. production like if you can say six tony awards for this show you know what i mean right so, like when when we think of we think of it as like it, it's billed for people who don't know about it as like oh it's such an honor yeah. and mm. i think that that's what they meant for it to be but it has become <laughs> a complete campaign that you have to sort of run and uh. so the difference now is that i don't have to run the campaign like i don't have to um I don't have to like shake all the hands and kiss all the babies. Right, right. Yeah. I don't have to go to like luncheon after luncheon and like cocktail party to talk about like how difficult my, my struggle with Satina is and get people to, to know and love, you know, me as an actor so that then they will vote for me. Um, right. This is like so much more pared down. And I think that it mm. actually shows the awards in a different light. It is an acknowledgement. And it, at this point, I, I appreciate that it's just an acknowledgement of like the work that was done on that stage. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and not much more of the pageantry, which I don't think that we have the bandwidth for as an industry. There's Amen. so many people struggling. Mm -hmm. I don't think that a big lavish like, oh my gosh, the Tony Awards. Is, I don't think right. that that's going to service anyone and it's going to it's going to really feel disingenuous, I think. Mm -hmm. So um, that's the hugest difference for me. Um, I'm also not someone who really, I don't value that. Uh, the award is not. Yeah. I mean, the, the award is not the thing you should right. be looking yeah. for. <laughs> right. Like, well, like I, 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 you have to just know that you're doing good work. Right. You know, right. You don't. Nice to be recognized, but not why you're doing this. Yeah. yeah well, and you that's. You can't do it. It's so, again, a lot of what you're saying is really freeing because coming out of school, right, we sort of have this idea like, oh, so-and-so is a Tony winner. And, you know, we've been asking people, and I kind of want to ask you this, would your 18-year-old, would your 19-year-old, 20-year-old self be impressed with your resume today? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But she didn't know enough about the world. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she hadn't, yes. she hadn't lived a, a real life and she hadn't been um, exposed to the industry. So, mm. you know, in the same way, like if you're in, until you're there, until you're actually doing the thing, you have no idea what it is. Yeah. Yeah. You hear from other people, you see what people put on Facebook mm. or they put on Instagram and you just assume that that's like, oh, I'm going to feel this when I get to this place. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel like that. No. It's just whatever you've done in any community theater production, except for it's in a place called Broadway and they pay you for it. And right. like everyone's just like a little bit like more skilled because they studied for multiple years to do the thing. Mm. Yeah. It's like it doesn't change you. You don't become like this like incredible being. You didn't arrive with that. You're going to spend the rest of your career fighting to find that in multiple characters. And it's yes. just like, it's an endless race. You won't find that value. Mm, that's, yeah, I like that. That's a good, yeah. that's a good point. Um, I think, it, okay, so what are your, what are your hopes and goals and dreams now, girl? Like, what do you, where do you see yourself in the next 10 years? Like, what is on your bucket list? Ah. Uh, yeah, bucket list. That's interesting. I mean, I used to have like a bucket list of like, oh, I want to do this. I want to go there. Now I just want to be a really good human. And I mm. want to make sure that I'm utilizing the things that have been put at my disposal in the right way. So that means my platform. That means um, when I teach, teaching in a more holistic and uh, in a way that has an eye on harm reduction and mm. building people up. Um, uh, my advocacy is very important to me. I don't, you know, I, I, it's also very important to not center myself within that advocacy, just to mm. have it be about really trying to move the needle, but not really standing in the center of it and being like, I move the needle, everyone. Right. Sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, You're a conduit. We, it really has to, like, removing that and, like, being very aware of what I'm trying to achieve rather than um, how it's being perceived as I achieve something. Mm. Those are the things that I, I think about. I'm not really thinking about, um, it's hard to plan. Like look in this time, it's hard to plan. Of you know, course. Uh, we have no idea what the next couple of years are going to do for our industry. And so rolling with the punches and knowing like my intent and, and being really clear about what my intention is, is the only thing that I can really um, I can, that's the only, that's like my anchoring right yes. now. There isn't, that's about it. Well, and don't you think if everybody did that, that we would be so much better off? Oh my God. As a <laughs> nation, as a world. Yeah. As, I, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I, it's working out for me. Will I say it's the easiest way of living? No, but no. you know, it's just the choice that I've made for myself. Mm-hmm. I love it. Well, I mean, it's brave. It's brave. A lot of what you're doing is, is very brave. And it's, um, it's mind blowing. I would say in the past, like five years, I've watched just this whole industry of theater change in so many ways. And it is a slow moving machine. It is an archaic vessel, but it is finally people are, are speaking up 10 years ago. Um, not, (laughs) not this, like there was not people speaking up about anything about any kind of um, 
things that needed to be changed. So it's really cool to see that there's a, at least a little bit of dialogue being started and people starting to take their agency back and saying, I'm an artist and this is what I do. Let's collaborate, not, you know, uh, have this, like you said, be an oligarchy. Mm-hmm. So it, it's very cool to see that happening. And I, I am so appreciative that you're uh, at the forefront of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. I think that's just about all we've got for you today, Karen. You are phenomenal. And we are so, so, so grateful um, to have been able to interview you today. So thank you. Yes, thank you so much, Karen Olivo. Oh, thank you for having me. You are so welcome. And we will, mm, Thanks for of having course, me. we're going to um, put all the affect information um, mm-hmm. on our website, on our Instagram. I really want people to check that out um, and support you, share that, just so we can get that information out to as many people as possible. Um, because I think that that is uh, very important. So we will do that. And again, thank you so much, Karen. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Oh, my God. That was so much fun. Okay. I cannot believe. Can you believe we just did that? I cannot believe. Okay. Thank you for leading that one. I was very starstruck, very She's nervous. She's amazing. Well, I had no reason to be because she was just so cool. And so humble. Honestly, you guys, we had so much fun. Please check out Karen on social media. Her website is karenolivo.com. There you can find links to her Facebook, her Instagram, her Twitter accounts. And be sure to check out Affect. This is Actors for Economic Transparency, guys, at affectchange.org. And that is affect with only one F, A-F-E-C-T, change.org. Please spread the word about this resource. It's an amazing, incredible resource for actors. And um, as we talked about with Karen, right, like in our industry, it is incredibly taboo to stand up for ourselves, to speak up for ourselves. So this is a great resource to lean on when you're, you know, looking for information and facts and ways to move forward. We are honored as always, of course, to have you with us for this hour. Thank you so much for tuning in and um, just coming with us on this journey. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We'll see you next time. (laughs) Bye. Thank you so much for listening to We're Still Here, a podcast by theater people for theater people. If you liked what you heard today, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us five stars. Your five-star rating helps encourage the growth and promotion of our podcast, allowing others like yourself to join us on this journey. And if you'd like to support the continuation of this podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash we're still here podcast. When you pledge a monthly payment of your choosing, you gain access to behind the scenes footage, podcast tea, and exclusive bonus interviews with our guests. Your financial contribution allows us to continue creating content that unites, inspires, and validates the theater community. We thank you for your incredible support. 